0: You know me. It's OPP. The doctor of dilithium is in. And don't worry, we don't cure anything real except isolation and boredom. Welcome to The Omega Particle. I am your humble host, Jonathan Wiegand. And we are broadcasting and streaming to you from all across the Alpha Quadrant here in these eastern United States. I hope everyone's doing well out there. We have officially started into our Borg series. Welcome to episode two. If you haven't listened to episode one, I'd recommend going back and listening to that. There's a great plethora of information. So the Borg, what we covered last time was pretty much just who they are, how they work, how they operate. And going into today's history, we're really going to cover the 15th through the 23rd century. That's going to be the emphasis today, as well as the captain's Archer, and Kirk, because next episode, it makes more sense on a timeline basis to have Picard, Janeway, and the 24th century all wrapped into one. As with Archer and Kirk, it's easier to deal with because we're really going to be talking about their time periods today. Um, Also, discover this crazy fan theory that actually makes a lot of sense. So we're going to put that at the end of the show too. And um, just thank you all for uh, coming in this has been uh, really fun to make and produce, and hopefully that shines through. We'll cover the big ones, big heavy hitters, and the main Borg history in the next episode, which is the 24th century. But there is some cool little tidbits with the um, between the 15th and the 23rd. So I'm going to cover something that we really didn't touch on before, but I thought is very pertinent to the Borg. And that's going to be Unicomplex. But before we get in there, let's transition Okay, so the first thing I forgot to mention was something called a unicomplex, and that is basically what the Borg headquarters are, and that is pretty much shown in the the Voyager episode Dark Frontier, and which is season five, I think it's episode 15 or 16, where the idea was introduced. Now, it's not a headquarters per se, but it's the closest thing to a headquarters We see that in Dark Frontier, that Janeway, Paris, Tuvok, and I think the Doctor um, took the Delta Flyer to rescue Seven of Nine because the Borg were blackmailing her. I'm not going to go into that episode, but that is why we know so much about this Unicomplex. And that's where most of, if not all of the Janeway Borg Queen episodes happen, is in this Unicomplex. And what makes this so important to the Borg series is that. We saw this Unicomplex get destroyed at the end of Voyager, or was it severely damaged? And because at the end of Voyager, the Borg Queen assimilated this neurolithic pathogen, which wiped out all the Borg, in that Unicomplex. However, there could be more than one. In the Voyager episode Unimatrix Zero Part 2 the drone Axum actually suggested that the independent drones attack the primary unicomplex. So maybe that's what it is. And that's what my opinion is, is that there's probably multiple unicomplexes out there and that the Boar Queen did get destroyed at the end of Voyager. And, well, I mean, here's some temporal backflips. Get ready. We have we don't have the Olympics, but we have Star Trek here. And these backflips include the Boar Queen getting her spine getting snapped in half at the end of First Contact, but also the Borg Queen getting destroyed at the end of Dark Frontier. So <laughs> there's, um, the, yeah, like just craziness. But we love it. That's sci-fi. So no more info is given, but my guess is that with the seven spinoff, and maybe in a Picard future seasons, that they will bring in multiple Unicomplexes and say, hey, the Borg Queen that you know died, but we might going to bring in the Borg King, Or the Borg Council, or I don't know, something like that. But we definitely know the villain is alive and well, thanks to the Romulans and the kind of sneak peek they gave us. So, speaking of getting that spine snapped in half, (laughs) we're going into the first kind of 23rd century. But before we get into that, um, we're going to talk about the temporal incursion that happened during First Contact, now, spoilers, if you haven't seen First Contact, stop here and scroll forward about two minutes because this is all we're going to talk about. But the movie's been out like 20 years, so <laughs> come on. Anyway, the board came in around 2373, and it was a fir- they were primarily going to stop the first contact between Vulcans and humans, Zefram Cochran's famous warp trip on the Phoenix, and... They wanted to do this so the Borg could go back in time and assimilate all of human culture before they became a very big threat and stop the Federation, et cetera, et cetera. And the funny thing is, is after this whole movie, Cochrane actually gave a speech at Princeton about that, that he talked about these villains and about these massive cybernetic overlords that were coming and these time travelers that came back and, and everybody just thought he was drunk. And um I mean, I would have too. I mean, he was known for his embellished stories and I would really recommend watching first contact. It's a great, one of my favorite Trek movies of the TNG crew and the famous line, he broke your little ships is in that. I'm not going to play it again. I played like four times already in this podcast. So um anyway, so dealing with those temporal incursions, When they destroyed that Borg sphere in First Contact, several parts of that ship actually landed in the Arctic Circle. And we don't really touch this until Enterprise. Yes, the show Enterprise. The show that everybody loves to hate on, especially me. Oh, it's a red alert because the first uh, security officer was Reed. So it's a Reed alert. Yes, that Enterprise. (laughs) I'm going to save you. This is probably one of the better storylines of Enterprise, but, and I think Scott Bakula does an amazing job as Captain Archer. It's actually one of my favorite captains. The Enterprise E in first contact thwarted the Borg, destroyed their sphere. So we're going to talk about going into Archer and in twenty one fifty three, which would be the twenty second century, the remains of this Borg sphere were discovered by this excavation crew, and they found it under this glacier, and including. This ship remains. They also find two frozen drones. Yes, Borg popsicles are found. And kind of like Captain America, you really don't know what you're going to get. This thing going to be a complete villain because it looks super ominous with its optical implants and, and crazy Borg arms, or you're going to get Captain America who's going to be an Avenger and help save the world. So, of course, the doctors... Um, thaw out these two Borg drones and they allow them to regenerate and eventually the Borg wake up and you guessed it, they try take over their ship and I think it was called Arctic One and I love the originality in the name of the ship because it's like, we're going to be exploring the Arctic. Let's call it Arctic One. (laughs) So um, they, Borg take it over and then they start making modifications on it to increase the, pretty much make it warp drive and increase the weapons system. So around three days later, cue SpongeBob, three days later sign, the Borg leave Earth, and then they try to assimilate the Enterprise NX-01. And that was the original Enterprise of all time in, quote-unquote, before Starfleet was enacted. Jonathan Archer was in NX series. And so the Borg start attacking the Enterprise and actually start trying to assimilate several of them. And that's, as you remember from last episode, Dr. Phlox, we learned, is biologically incapable of being assimilated. So that was actually pretty cool to find out that some species can't be assimilated based purely on their genetics or based on their um, simple um, antibodies. So we learned that Dr. Phlox can't be assimilated. So... As we know, the Enterprise eventually destroys the drone ship, and there's no reference to the name of Borg in all of Enterprise. We know who they are, because obviously they look like the Borg, but these characters have no idea, and Starfleet makes no record of it, and we'll touch that in a second. Archer kind of connects the dots between Cocker and Speech. Remember the one at Princeton? And he's like, wait a minute, are these the same guys? What if time travel is real? And do they explore that? Not at all, because it's Enterprise. <laughs> so the only interesting aspect of this whole plot line, beside the Borg coming on Earth in the 23rd century, is that Phlox revealed that he got a um, subspace message when he was quote-unquote part of the Hive. And he learned that they sent out a spatial coordinates to pinpoint Earth's location. Now, it took them about 200 years to reach its designation. And that, again, is a temporal issue because we know that, obviously, the scripts weren't written in chronological order. And as we learned last episode, the producers were just trying to make a suitable villain for the TNG crew. And the question is, why would the Enterprise, which came out, I think, in the early 2000s, well after even the last um, Star Trek TNG movie, why they would put this plot line in because it just kind of confuses things even more. So what I'm thinking is the only real world explanation why Starfleet didn't have an explanation for the Borg when Q showed up and introduced Starfleet to the Borg and why the Borg never understood the Alpha Quadrant until they meet Picard is because Starfleet can't keep records. <laughs> That's the only real world explanation is that maybe Archer didn't keep a accurate account of the whole incident with the borged up Arctic One ship, and it's just kind of fell by the wayside because because we really don't get a bore classification until what happens in Star Trek Generations, which we will talk about coming up soon. So I just blame it on the crappy reports. And again, this is probably one of the most debated and fearsome villains. And I don't know if in a real, in an actual real world, not outside of Trek reason, why they included the Borg in Enterprise is probably because the ratings were so terrible. And they were like, hey, if we bring in the Borg, maybe this will boost ratings and get people hooked to the show. And it didn't. And that is why Enterprise was only around for four seasons as opposed to... The Golden Age of Trek, those three series had seven seasons apiece. So that's probably really my just, I haven't researched it. That's just probably my two cents. They were just trying to boost ratings and it didn't work out too well. So there is also more in this century and it has to deal with a really cool concept, but we're going to cover that in my theory at the very end of this episode and it even harkens back to my very, very first episode. So if you've listened to the introduction episode, you know what's coming. But let's just move on. We're kind of cruising through the 22nd and 23rd century. And let's move on to something really fascinating, which is the 23rd century. And we learn a little bit about the most mysterious species, I think, in all of Star Trek, outside of the queue, is the L Arians. And pretty much what happened in the middle of the 23rd century, the Borg assimilated the home world of El Azaria and only a handful of the species survived and were able to escape and they escaped on these two ships. So a little backstory about these um, El Arians are that they are humanoid species, but they're normally called the species of listeners and they're super well traveled and they can live a long time. Now, if that nickname gives you a little tip of the cap, you're correct. Gynen, yes, Guinan, the famous bartender played by Whoopi Goldberg on Enterprises 10 Forward, is an El-Aryan. We also see Dr. Soren, who's kind of a con artist, and he tries to manipulate Quark and some deals on a DS9 episode. But besides that doctor and Guinan, that's really all we see of the entire species until we get to the movie Generations. Now, I mentioned that they were really well-traveled, and in the TNG episode, Time Arrow, Guinan actually visited Earth back in 1893. Awesome couple episodes in that little plot of TNG. Really cool how Guinan interacts with everybody, and she even says to Picard, like, you remind me of someone, (laughs) because he met her, like, all those years ago. And so, going back to the... Middle of the twenty third century, um, the attack on Guinan's homeworld pretty much devastated and took everybody out. And we've heard a reference that many times in TNG. In twenty two ninety three, a group of refugees were traveling to Earth following their escape from the Borg, and they were on two ships. One was called SS La cool, and the other one was SS Robert Fox. <laughs> wow, that's weird. It's like uh, Robert. Fox. We'll name it that. He just sounds like a like a super wealthy investor and somehow got his name Rob Fox. Anyway, I'm going down tangents and they were caught in a Nexus energy ribbon which is portrayed in Star Trek Generations, the movie, which is the very first TNG movie. It's really cool love having Picard and Kirk interact and it gave nerds everywhere the option to start the the debate of who is better, Captain Kirk or Picard. Guinan was actually on those refugee ships, and the Enterprise B was able to rescue only 47 of those refugees that survived that Nexus energy ribbon, sadly. So now only 47 refugees, and of course, Dr. Soren and Guinan were a part of those. So why are we talking about this Generations movie? How does this exactly relate to the Borg, you may ask? And that's a great question. And they do directly involve Starfleet's history with the Borg. Why? Because at the time when the Enterprise B was rescuing these two ships, they had no idea who the Borg were. They had no concept. Thank you, Jonathan Archer and your crappy reporting. And... They only heard stories when they started attending to those 47 refugees in the medical bay, and they started hearing about the cybernetic race and who destroyed an entire planet and millions and millions of people, and Starfleet finally opened a file on the Borg, and this was the first instance where Starfleet became aware of the Borg in canon. So that is a very important aspect to it. However, this is also followed up in Enterprise episode regeneration and the Voyager episode Scorpion. That date is Star Date nine five two one point six. Now, this is also a fun nerd fact: is that you may say, "Why? How could that date be a nerd fact?" In Star Trek Six, Undiscovered Country. Captain Sulu, in his captain's log, begins a log on that date, 9521.6. So, is when Undiscovered Country was starting, this is right around the time that the Borg were officially on the map to the Federation. So, fun stuff. It's, uh, it's interesting to kind of see how, as the series have progressed... They've tried to fill in, it's kind of like almost a brick wall. So they built this brick wall and then now they're trying to put this villain into kind of everything. And I don't think that's really good. It should, I mean, TNG is awesome, but now they're trying to harken back to the original movies and now Enterprise is trying to get their way in. Maybe it should have just been TNG onward and not try to do all these backflips. That's just my opinion. Um, I think it works better that way instead of me on a podcast explaining all these little temporal backflips, which is fine. So moving on, that's really all that happened in the entire 23rd century. And in the next episode, we're going to cover the 24th century, which is where 90% of all the Borg drama happens. That's where we get Picard. That's where we get Q. That's where we get Janeway. That's where we get the Borg reclamation project in Picard. So... We're that's pretty much an entire episode to itself. It's a lot of callbacks, issues. If you've never watched Voyager, it'll be a great explanation for what Janeway does with the Borg. And also, it's a, if you've never really gotten into TNG, it's a great refresher with what Picard interacts with it. So we're going to be weaving how the, Captain Janeway, Captain um, Picard deal with the Borg. And also we're going to throw Cisco in there because... That's also pertinent to his attitude towards Picard. However, this episode we're going to be dealing with, we dealt with Archer and how we met with this cybernetic species that Cochrane mentioned, but also with Kirk. Now, all you Starfleet and Star Trek faithful will say, but Jonathan, Kirk never encountered the Borg. And would how would he deal with the Borg? There is a little bit of a fun fact. William Shatner wrote a book, Called The Return. And in Star Trek Generations, when Picard buries Kirk, he is left on that planet, and the Romulans come and take his body. And eventually, the Romulans form an alliance with the Borg, and they put his Katra, harken back to Star Trek 3, search for Spock, and they put his Katra back in his body. And so we have Kirk again but he's this Romulan Borg thing. I don't know. It's it's something people call the Shatnerverse because he wrote two books, but they're not canon. Um, I don't know if Star Trek has a canon, but these obviously aren't included in it. And my personal perception of how Kirk would deal with the Borg is I think he would definitely be frustrated and he would have to really lean on Spock and other bridge crew because... Kirk is great, but he's very guns-a-blazing cowboy diplomacy, as they famously call it. So I don't, I mean, per, I think you would have to really outthink and outsmart, because the Borg, you can't stand toe-to-toe with them on weapons. You can't stand toe-to-toe to them on battle plans, because they're a complete hive mind. They can instantly change orders, instantly implement those orders, and that's really difficult to beat on a pure battlefield basis. So you have to outsmart them. Now, Kirk has done that in the past. I mean, he did outsmart the Kobayashi Maru by cheating, but he still beat it. So I think it would definitely be one of those episodes where, kind of like Khan, he gets beat by trying to do his own cowboy diplomacy way, and then he has to rely on Spock and maybe Scotty and trying to say, how can we beat these? We have to outthink them. And then they pull off some ingenious way, but simplistic way of defeating the Borg outthinking the Borg. So yeah, I think it would be very difficult for Kirk to do that because it's just not a straight up enemy. Now you may disagree with me in that, but Kirk is my number two or three captain. So I know a lot of people listen to show maybe may be original series lovers, but for me, that's just how it is. So <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's that's my opinion. And again, if you want to debate, please reach out to us on Instagram at Omega Particle Podcast or email me at Omega Particle podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. So that's been Kirk and Archer and also dealing with the 23rd century a little bit. And now we're going to move on to this really interesting theory. Now, before I get into this theory, we're gonna delve back and do a little history lesson. And it even goes back history lesson in Trek and also history lesson of this podcast. Because we talked about this in the very first introduction episode. And that was before I was cutting my teeth on podcasting. It was 12 episodes ago. Crazy. So it is having to deal with the Omega Particle. The Omega Particle. So let's take a time travel back to the 22nd century. And we're in 2145. And according to canon, the Borg are assimilating small. They're up to about 13 species. And they're getting ready for trying to find that perfection. And this is what leads into that theory. And the Borg learned the existence of the mega particle, which to them is perfection. And it's in the episode Voyager, the mega directive. And the Borg referred to it as particle 010. The Borg believe it to be in a completely flawless state and almost a reverence, like a, an awe, like, oh, wow, it's perfect kind of attitude. And we definitely see that with Seven's reaction and explanation of the Omega Particle, which we will play now. I will not help you destroy Omega. It should be harnessed. That's impossible. The Borg believe otherwise. Explain. On one occasion, we were able to create a single Omega molecule. We kept it stable for 1 trillionth of a nanosecond before it destabilized. We didn't have enough boronite ore left to synthesize more. But the knowledge we gained allowed us to refine our theories. But if someone out there is experimenting with Omega, I'm under orders to stop them. Otherwise, this entire quadrant would be at risk. Those orders are the result of Starfleet's ignorance and fear. I can alleviate your ignorance. As for your fear... Sometimes fear should be respected, Seven. Tell me. How many Borg were sacrificed during this experiment? 29 vessels, 600,000 drones, but that is irrelevant. Not to me. Not to my crew. And not to the people who live in this quadrant. I'm going to neutralize this threat, Seven, with or without your help. Wow. 29 vessels and 600,000 drones. That is a lot. In the pursuit of this omega particle or OVP, (laughs) they got the boar got really close to stabilizing it, but they didn't have enough boronite and boronite, more like borophil. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And uh, so they didn't have enough boronite. You got to always remember keep your status on boronite. But this leads directly into this fan theory that I found on Reddit. And I was like, man, this could really explain all of the Borgs kind of shifting tides because they, they really are all over the map sometimes. They're really not a consistent basis. Like if they were dead set on conquering, they would have conquered most of the galaxy. You know, they would have just onset completely, one by one, easily taken over because no one really can stand with them. However, we don't see that. And there are a few theories why. So one of the things, the reasons why they don't just straight-up conquer is that there's this theory called that the, it's kind of, quote-unquote, the farming theory. And this theory is that the Borg are farming the galaxy in order to stimulate technological advances. And now, I mean, that is what's presented in the very first Borg episode, is that, oh, they assimilate technology. And that's one of the things they have to do. However, I mean, to me, it makes the Borg either super lazy or incompetent. I think that's why they got rid of that theory in the TNG and Voyager series, that they were like, oh, we don't want just technology, we want people. So it's very quick change. So the farming theory is like, meh, because, I mean, the Borg don't need to farm cultures for technology because they're very much capable of doing their own research. They're very much capable of producing, doing, I mean, amazing research. I mean, look what um, Seven of Nine said about the mega particle. I mean that's boom right there. I mean six hundred thousand drones and twenty nine ships. They have the they have the capability of doing their own scientific research. So saying we're just going to take technology for the sake of technology, I think is a lazy theory. And if the Borg are doing this farming theory, I think they're terrible at it because there's a lot less societies out there that are technologically advanced as the Borg. So they're pretty much getting outdated technology. And I mean, there's even so much, they won't, like I mentioned last episode, they won't even touch the Kazon because they're not as advanced as they want them to be. So I think it's just kind of like, okay, like we're, again, I think it's the writers and producers getting more acquainted with the villain and then having them shift from technology to people. And I suggest an alternative, a different kind of idea is that the Borg have advanced like as fast as they possibly could something has been slowing them down from all of this conquering, and the time delay has rendered almost assimilating the entire Federation irrelevant. And we know that something likely is slowing them down, because what 7-9 told us, and it circles back to the mega particle and the mega molecule. the mega particle has significant potential cost to that development. I mean, if you fail to stabilize it, it'll explode. But not only explode, it'll damage all of subspace in a way that make, like, transwarp impossible. So the entire Borg-Omega, like, particle experiments were done around 2145, as Seven describes. But maybe that's why there's still a federation. So consider if the experiment happened within a few light years of the Borg home systems. Okay, now, depending on the power of that Omega experiment, it could have almost created a quote-unquote moat that would have a warpless subspace around them, and if that's surrounding the Borg power base, the Unicomplex, that would complicate expansion considerably. Now, I mean, of course, the Borg could just slow their way through it and... It would significantly complicate and delay their expansion. The damage to that subspace may be bottlenecking the space between the Alpha Quadrant and the Borg. So, I mean, I know Janeway didn't find anything in the Delta Quadrant like that, but she also fast-forwarded like a bunch of Borg space thanks to Kess, in the Voyager episode, The Gift. So, of course, the Voyager crew didn't exactly finish the entire journey from the Delta to the Alpha Quadrant. So there could be this moat of non-subspace out there that has delayed the Borg entirely and kind of explains the entire Borg idea in first contact, you know? Like, okay, well, we can't take out the Federation, and the Federation now has time to really go after us and develop and evolve weaponry to us what if we just go back in time and take them out and that makes perfect sense and i would actually believe with that so i think with this single bottlenecking of the borg and this continuing research of the mega particle is i mean even seven said it was the most important priority priority number 1 now that we know that the Borg's most important is that Omega Particle, then it comes with, they ran out of Boronite. Maybe they need more Boronite. And maybe that's why they don't really regard and kind of steamroll the Federation is that they just, they just want the Boronite. They're just simply going after the Boronite. Now this is an interesting theory because I mean, it deals with why haven't the Borg really taken over the galaxy is that there's this bottlenecking because of the, Omega subspace explosions, and also because of they're just simply about Borg night. I mean, I think that's really a simplistic theory, kind of subscribe to half of that theory. And the half is about the bottlenecking and destroying subspace and slowing down the Borg expansion. I think that's definitely it. Um, However, I don't think they're just solely about the boronite. Like we're going to go after only the boronite. We only care about the boronite. And I'm like, mm, "That doesn't really fit and you have to wave off a ton of Borg history and Borg interaction." So, I like the theory that the Omega particle experiments really slow down the Borg and really almost saved the Federation. So, that's a cool concept and I think it's definitely should be explored maybe in future episodes of Picard or discovery or section 31 or pike or whatever they whatever they end up doing is that there's a lot of great potential for history and plot that ties directly to the other series of the show. However, I think that maybe you don't want to develop too much of the Borg because then it's just kind of like it's just as so much about the Federation as it is about the Borg. So, those are my two cents. I thought that was a cool theory and this has been the second episode in the Borg series. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And um, again, today we covered um, some captains and a little bit of Borg history, but the next episode that will come out next week will be about the 24th century Picard and Janeway. I'll throw some Cisco in there too, but uh, thank you guys for all the support. We're up to three hundred um, downloads on the podcast, so thank you for listening, and um, we definitely appreciate it. Go over the fun conclusion of the Bork series next week after the Bork series is kind of open. So I'd love to hear some suggestions from you guys about what we could cover. Um, I know we've been kind of doing villains, so maybe maybe a species, maybe some other things like the prophets or a cool idea and concept that doesn't just have to be about villains and heavy hitters. So let me know. Again, um you can always reach out to Instagram or through email. I'm always here for you guys and we'll get through this together and hopefully we'll get back to normal in the upcoming months. Always remember, second start of the right, straight on till morning.